I think it's far more important to look at um, our, our oral biome as a um, it's it's almost like a, a, a rainforest of um, organisms that all live uh, for the most part together and if we can keep the uh, quorum levels of the bad bacteria under control by allowing our good bacteria to flourish then those bad bacteria don't do the harm and to continually pour in um, antimicrobials and antibiotics to try and kill off all the bacteria um, sure as eggs is eggs it's probably the bad ones that are going to come back first Hello, and welcome to the Natural Healthcare Network podcast. My name is Deb McLeod, and I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in. Today, we have Robin Pierce-Williams joining us. He is a retired dentist. His story goes from working as an NHS dentist to having his own private practice to retiring and then going for qualifications as a nutritional therapist. He has lots of information to share with us. I hope you enjoy it as much as I have. Thank you, Robin, for joining me on my podcast. It is great to have you on my show. Well, thank you, Deb. Thank you uh, for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's really, um, we've talked several times and we've even had a recording before, as we know. Um, but I'm really excited to have you on because you come with great experience having worked in the conventional medical world. But the twist is you were a dentist, you were a practicing dentist, and we're going to talk about what you used to do and how as a, a dentist in a, uh, you had a private practice, is that right? Uh, in, initially a national health practice and uh, ultim ultimately became a private practice, yes. Okay, and then retired and then decided to shift gears and become a nutritional therapist. Cool. Uh, so I feel like you have some really interesting information to share with us. So do you mind if we kick off talking a little bit about your story and how it was for you working as a dentist, what it was like for you, and just a bit of background on how you kind of started from there and got to this point in <laughs> a brief amount of time, 50, yeah. 60, 50, 60 years to get you to this point. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. Um, well, I was... Uh, I was brought up in Mid Wales, but then moved to North London, where I uh, received most of my um, early education. Moved to Newbury in Berkshire, and from there um, gained my necessary A levels to go to Bristol University Dental School, um, from where I qualified in 1974. Um, back in those days, uh, education was very much different to what it's like these days. Um, it was almost a progression of um, schooling really with um, the teacher if you like um, obviously we call them lecturers and doctors and whatever else um, standing in front of a, a classroom um, giving us facts which we learned to effectively pass exams um, I'm not particularly critical of that other than I think these days the younger generation have a much broader um, availability in so they have computers with search engine engines and that sort of um, uh, modern technology to allow them to analyze what they're being um, told and uh, enter into debate maybe on um, whether it is 
necessarily good or bad. Um, was I, um, I don't know, the, maybe the word brainwash is a little bit too strong, but um, um, some of the things that we were taught, I look at now and I wonder, well, um, I certainly know that some of them are not necessarily wrong, but we weren't given as broad a, a broader an outline of them. And uh, maybe we're, we weren't allowed to, or we, I, I perhaps, perhaps faulting myself, uh, I didn't consider I... Uh, looked at these subjects in a broad enough way um, and didn't reach my own conclusions. I tended to rely on the conclusions of our um, lecturers and etc. to um, um, guide me through my professional career. For the most part, that has been fantastic. Um, but for the... But don't you think that well, sorry, um, don't you think that's really just the way it was back then? And I, I mean that nicely back then because, you know, you're not that much older than me, really. But and also in your in conventional medicine, this is, you know, this is what the science is. This is what you do. And this is how it is. And also, we didn't have the Internet back then. We didn't mm. have the opportunity to go and say, is that true? Oh, and here's Dr. Google showing us umpteen bazillion other ways or things to think about in the meantime. But so. So in some respects, I feel like you're being a bit hard on yourself to a degree saying you didn't question, but because uh, that's not what you really did, was it? I think you're absolutely right, Deb. Um, in those days, we accepted that what we were taught was the truth and nothing but. Um, and whilst much, if not oh, vast majority of that probably was and still is the truth um, it tended just to um, not prevent but to discourage your own thoughts and your own views on things um, and I suppose one of the areas where the, that sort of knowledge or that sort of teaching is um, highlighted is maybe in the area of fluoride um, fluoride is very big in the um, dental world um, and uh, whether to fluoridate or not fluoridate the water supply um, is actually to me no longer seems to be even a debate um, if anything it seems to be more of a shouting match um, if you if you talk on one side you're classified as a a denier or a purveyor of fake news or if you really want to insult someone there you're a con conspiracist or something like that um, or if you do want to put fluoride in the water you're accused of being a mass medicator um, and it kind of reminds me of um, I don't know the saying that uh, the there's a kind of a strikingly polarized attitude um, in the area of fluoridation um, with each side um, debating their point, but with very little listening in between. And there's a, a lot of science out there now, which the pro-fluoridators would say, that's not science, it's false science. Um, but uh, I think the, natu the naturopathic um, our nutritional friends, who I would imagine um, are going to be the um, bigger part of your listeners and your support, your supporters, listeners or follows or whatever you, whatever you like to call them, um, will have a, a broader understanding of the, the dangers of fluoride. Um, fluoride is uh, one of the most toxic products in the world. 
um, I say one of, there are many. Um, and if it's in the air, it's a toxin. If it's in the water, if it's in a lake, it's a toxin. If it's in a river, it's a toxin. And yet we put it in the water supply and into our children's mouths um, without any control of how much water a child will drink. Uh, it concerns me that a lot of the science and the mainstream tend to use the Cochrane v, uh, reviews as uh, often regarded as the gold standard of um, a scientific review. And even they claim that 90% of um, the research papers they've looked, looked at don't stand up to scrutiny. So if 90% don't stand up to scrutiny, the 3%, that worries me that I've spent all my life being told that fluoride is in the water is good for teeth. Um, and was never given the alternative, uh, the alternative view. Um, disappointed by that in a way, uh, but um, and that's just one small example. Um, but it, it, it serves serves the point of how very much differently education is um, passed down these days. Um, to uh, people like myself, when I start a new course in. Uh, in nutrition, naturopathic nutrition, um, we're encouraged to question what we're being sold and to look at the research. And you can get the research from all over the world in a very short space of time these days, which obviously back in uh, our earlier days, should we say, um, was not not available. No. And so do you, it's quite interesting um, what you say about fluoride. I mean, it, because it's it is it's here it's in the water so how do we as individuals as nutritional therapists how do we help support our bodies so it doesn't um it's not as is invasive the right word toxic how do we manage to support our systems whilst we are drinking fluoride every day do you get into water filters or what do you what's your Thinking um, on that. Yes, and not, not all water supplies in the country are fluoridated. Um, there are a number that aren't, and there are some water supplies that contain natural fluoride, which is um, basically calcium fluoride. Um, but when it's added to the water supply, um, it's added as a fluorosilicate acids, and these substances, or even sodium fluoride, these substances are extremely toxic uh, to the extent that if you want to get within about 10 foot of uh, these materials, you've got to be wearing industrial level, full body protective clothing, which um, is actually further away than you need to be for COVID uh, um, protection. Um, it's, it's nasty stuff. And these products are waste products of agricultural processes. And you do then you get into the um, um, anti-fluoridators saying that actually it's just a way of getting rid of these to toxic products and be that right or wrong um, it strikes me we haven't looked at this from a natural process so going back to your question how do we avoid it yes um, most uh, relatively um, uh, economic uh, filters don't actually filter fluoride out of the water. You need to be looking at reverse os osmosis and um, equipment like that to get the fluoride out. Um, would I do that? Um, yes, I would. 
um, I think if you're going to have fluoride um, in in a mouth, it needs to be used in the way that is most beneficial to the usually a child, rather than just um, pouring it in willy-nilly to everyone. You're dropping in and out a little bit, but are Sorry. you saying that when you're using, it's not you, it's our connection. You're you're in Cornwall and I'm in Devon. We're <laughs> going to, you know, we're in trouble here. <laughs> For some, you know, that's, that's, that's a no winner, really. Yeah, you um, put the cream on top but, of the jam or the jam on top of the cream then. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a discussion. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, oh, boy. No, no, I like it. I like it. These are the things we have to discuss. These are the important things, really. Who cares about fluoride? It's yeah. all about, you know, the jam and the and the cream. But um, were you saying, if we jump back, if you were, what I think you were saying was, as dentists or anyone, if someone's getting fluoride, were you talking about children in general? If Are you implying that when a child goes to see the dentist and they're treated for various things, they should or should not receive fluoride treatment? Or um, I think that we as parents um, need to do a little bit more of our own research um it's uh okay it's kind of um almost indoctrinated in dentists that fluoride is good for teeth and obviously there's a big difference between fluoride in the water and fluoride within other products and within products within the dental surgery itself so direct application of fluoride one of the big pluses to fluoride being applied directly to the teeth um, is that it's very much more controlled than willy-nilly putting it into toothpaste that people can swallow different amounts of, um, willy-nilly putting it into water where people can drink more or less. Um, and also add to that, uh, what percentage of the water that's fluoridated at source is actually, is, is actually drunk? It's quite an expensive process to put fluoride into water and only something less than 5% of the water that comes out of taps is actually drunk. Um, a whole load of it just gets poured down the sink um, or poured on the garden. Gosh. So uh, it's, it's an ex ex expensive exercise. Um, and so, um, you yeah, know, that aside... Um, we have no control over it. Yes, the percentage of the, the ideal or recommended concentration of fluoride in fluoridated water is very, very small. It's one part per million. Um, so is that harmful? Um, well, it depends, I guess, on how much you drink. And you need to drink an awful lot of it to bring, bring it up to the levels of um in toothpaste where it may be as high as two three four percent um, that's a massive difference um but yeah swallowing those toothpaste and you find me a small child that can actually uh, brush their teeth and not swallow any of that toothpaste um yeah that that can be a worry and we do see fluorosis which is uh in simplistic terms an over fluoridation of teeth um but is fluoride helpful well um for a tooth to decay you need three things you need um, sugar to feed bacteria that produce acid and you need a tooth and if you take away the bacteria and just put the tooth into a sugar solution um, it's not going to decay if you take away the tooth it's not going to decay 
but that's not really a practical answer. If you take away the sugar, it's not going to decay. And so this all comes down to something that we as um, nutritionists, if you like, um, are very big on, i.e. the diet. And if we remove the sugar, then the tooth isn't going to de decay. Now, can you persuade everyone to remove the sugar from their diet? Well, we've tried with so many, uh, so many other areas of health and we make small inroads um, and perhaps as uh, uh, nutritional therapists we see people more on the more on the on the um, levels of people interested in their own um, their own health at an individual level rather than um, at a, a population level and uh, we can make inroads but at a population level you find me um, any shop that doesn't have the tweets right next to the till where mum just gets persuaded by the kiddies to buy those little sweets with leftover change or whatever it is um, so we if we if the public can't accept reducing sugar then maybe the answer only answer is fluoride um, so we need to address um, as dental surgeons the whole sugar thing um, much more much more actively than than we do and, and i'm sure the british dental association and other organizations say we plug away at it time and time again uh, and i'm sure they do but somehow we've got to change the message so that the public understand what the message is um, and it's such a shame that something as simple as um, a change in diet and it's not just the change in, in diet, um, it's the change in lifestyle that goes alongside the change in diet. Um, so, so can I ask you, how is it you determined this to be so? Because you couldn't have, um, I mean, I know you, you qualified as a nutritional therapist recently. Um, it was, how, did you qualify in 2019? Is that right? Uh, yes, yeah. So I'm very recently qualified in, in, in nutrition therapy. Um, but having said that, it's an area of interest for 20 years or more. And um, it's only since retiring I've um, been able to dedicate the time to actually getting um, a, a qualification of some sort. Um, I'm proud to have done so. Uh, but it's not I suddenly thought, um, let's become a nutritional therapist. It's, I just, it's more a case of <laughs> studying um, an interest stroke passion of mine, which I've um, followed and believed in for well over 20 years or more. Um, and just to give some sort of credibility, I like, I guess, to what I frequently talk about, um, I think if you have a qualification, people are a little bit more accepting of what you say. Yeah. So can I ask you to go back a bit and say, so you, you found an interest in this over 20 years ago. So if we go back a little bit and say, and you share a little bit about what it was that picked your interest 20 years ago to start thinking, okay, fluoride is not so great maybe sugar is going to be the thing that if we eradicate and actually hey it's not just that sugar it's the food that they're eating what's connected to that can you talk a little bit about what what in, got you interested in that and then 
I think as you had addressed, we can talk about the health effects of the mouth uh, and the impact on the body and how you wanted to you want to address that, that it's not focused on so much that our mouth is connected to our body, which sounds really funny for me to say, but something that you said is not addressed in dentistry. So can we talk first about how you got interested in this 20 years ago? Um, yes, yeah, so I attended um, a meeting um, of uh, what was known as, known as the Bristol Dental Study Club. It's a study club that a group of dentists set up um, um, a number of years ago to just study things that we maybe hadn't been um, taught in our undergraduate days. And um, we would invite speakers to our meetings and talk a little bit more about um, particularly in the earlier stages, we were talking about occlusion, um, which um, is basically how your teeth function against each other um, and how that can impact on uh, the rest of the musculoskeletal control of the body. Um, and as we broadened our interests, uh, we had specialists in root canal treatment. And uh, at one particular meeting, um, we had um, uh, Dr. Mark Draper come and talk to us um, about what he called the nutrition gap. And I'm sure uh, many of your listeners will have heard that phrase or something along those lines. Um, so if you like the, the gap um, between uh, what is available in foods and what should be available in foods, um, and it was sort of nicknamed the nutrition gap. Um, for some years now, um, London Transport has used that phrase because every time we go on and off a train, they say, mind the gap. We look at we look upon it from a nutritional point of view. And uh, this meeting was, um, as, as it happens, um, it was sponsored by Cytoplan, who you, you and uh, I'm sure you have heard of and um, I'm sure a number of your mm -hmm. listeners will have heard of. Um, it's a company that, as you know, make um, nutritional supplements. I consider their range of supplements to be particularly good um, and I um, enjoy um, or respect their uh, ethics and ethos um, and whilst I'm not saying they're necessarily the best and there are many other companies out there making um, good quality supplements as well as some companies out there making maybe not such good quality supplements. Um, I uh, it's, it's a company that I have huge respect for and um, uh, can very happily um, recommend their products as and, as and where necessary. Um, so at that meeting and understanding the nutrition gap, it took me on to, um, apart from anything else, taking a, a more serious look at my, my own diet and my own nutritional needs. Um, but then studying nutrition a little bit more fully and was introduced to uh, uh, people like Paul Clayton, who some of you, some of your listeners may have heard of. And he talks again about the nutrition gap, but uh, many other aspects of nutrition. And he uh, introduced the concept of um, uh, optimizing the immune system as much as which is, uh, is, is a phrase, optimizing the immune system. And uh, from that, I learned about um, beta-glucans, which helps to um, balance 
um, uh, TH1, TH2. Um, and that's a, an area that um, we we look at as part of our immune system. And to um, optimize that, he introduced uh, to me the concept of beta-glucans. And within my own dental practice, I started to recommend patients who had um, uh, the need for antibiotics to... Um, I offered them the possibility of using beta-glucans to um, optimize their immune system rather than taking the antibiotic. And um, I can say that uh, it reduced my um, antibiotic prescribing rates by 70%. Um, I saw that as wow. particularly significant. And um, it's an, an area that I think um, many more dentists could consider looking at um, because in, apart from anything else if we're avoiding the use of antibiotics then we, we all know that um, bacteria develop resistance to antibiotics um, interestingly the first person maybe to say that was the very man that discovered um, the uh, development of um, penicillin um, Alexander Fleming actually said at, at his um, uh, acceptance of his Nobel Prize that bacteria will very likely develop resistance to uh, this antibiotic. And uh, uh, we, we now know that to be true. Um, so it, it's true. It's true. So can I, can I ask you, sorry to interrupt you, can I ask you, did anyone within the NHS, did anyone notice that you were not administering as many antibiotics? Was that ever flagged up? Uh, no, it wasn't. Because, um, the, and the, total, the, the reason for that is um, that when I was prescribing um, or suggesting to a patient that they take beta-glucans, um, I would prescribe the antibiotic as well and ask them to take that oh, right. okay. um, so that if they didn't feel confident in just taking the beta-glucans or if, um, if their condition was so acute that it was going to deteriorate very rapidly, it will take a while for beta-glucans to build up to an effective, effective level. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about um, manipulating the uh, immune system, which has taken years to get to, sometimes years to get to an imbalance. Um, it's not going to rebalance in the, in the space of a few hours. And sometimes the antibiotics are absolutely necessary, um, as, as are so many medications um, yeah. for the acute phase. Um, so I would actually prescribe the antibiotic because if I didn't, I'd be in breach of um, um, some sort of regulation, I'm sure. Um, and nice guidelines would nice guidelines would insist that in a situation like that I prescribe the antibiotic. But I would ask the patient to consider trying uh, just the beta glucans, and then on their on, on their follow up appointment, um, I would ask them what they did, and they would usually bring the antibiotic back to me, which sadly I would have. That's to, great. I would have to put in the bin, but um, there we go. So can I ask you about this? So you have your group of uh, fellow dentists and someone came to talk to you about occlusion. Um, and I just wondered if you could go into a little bit more detail because I think that would be interesting for people also. Yes, okay, Deb. The, the um, study club was set up 
predominantly in, in the first instance to study occlusion because it was an area of um, postgraduate dentistry that we felt was lacking, particularly um, in the UK. It was a little bit more advanced, considerably more advanced in, in the United States. And a number of our members had been to the United States and studied over there. Um, There's a particular institute called the Pankey Institute, which, um, which uh, advanced um, this knowledge to a very high level and we were lucky enough to have people who had a been to the bank had been to the Panky institute but had also we also had speakers come to speak to us from the Panky institute and uh, the the explanation of how the teeth actually meet was taken to a new level um, for us certainly a level that i was never um, taught at undergraduate uh, undergraduate level um, and that's the way our teeth meet is um, can be affected by um, how our uh, basically how our um, your knee bone is connected to the hip bone your hip bones connected to your etc <laughs> and you know the song um, we can have problems within the way the occlusion, the way the teeth meet, that can affect the temporomandibular joint, which is the joint that controls how your uh, upper teeth move against your lower teeth. And if there's um, a misalignment there, then that misalignment can be uh, an adaptation um, through the neck. It can cause um, muscle problems um, and joint problems um, from, if you like, the top down, um, but also it can be um, a symptom of a problem lower down, i.e., from the bottom up, and uh, we uh, and these these problems can lead to um, obviously pain in many other joints, um, hips quite commonly, but obviously temporomandibular mandibular joint, but also cause uh, muscular type pains, i.e. headaches and other muscle pains elsewhere in, in the body. So neck, back. If, we've, if we have, um, for example, a damage, damage to um, a leg and it um, shifts the sacroiliac joint um, and we compensate by uh, compensate by walking maybe with a, a slight tilt, um, then that, um, uh, that uh, irregular movement can effectively travel up the spine to the, the, the mouth, the TMJ, and to the teeth. And so these, these problems can be very, very slight um, um, from a measurement point of view, but the problems that come out of them can be quite severe. That's, I mean, it's really interesting because that leads me nicely or it's nicely into talking about how you're, you're having this group, you're talking about occlusion, about the nutrition gap as well. Where I thought would be interesting for us to go next was to talk about the connection of the mouth to the rest of the body and how conventional dentistry and or medicine in, on the whole doesn't acknowledge that connection either you know, either way. So are you happy for us to talk about that now? Or is there something you want to talk about before we get into that? Yes, no, let's, let's go down that road now. Um, the, um, I mean, one of the areas um, that is maybe not um, as 
widely talked about as um, as maybe should be. Um, yes, uh, I talked about bacteria a little bit earlier, just very briefly talked about how dental decay or tooth, de uh, tooth decay requires a bacteria to um, eat the sugar to produce acid. And uh, no doubt that happens. Um, but we don't look at bacteria um, within the mouth um, as broadly or as widely as maybe we should. Um, there are uh, in excess of, well in excess of 700 different species of bacteria that have been identified in the mouth. Um, I think technology has moved on so rapidly in recent years with, um, uh, well we hear it a lot with this COVID um, pandemic at the moment, we hear the phrase um, PCR, uh, polymerized, polymerized chain reactions. And this science is identifying through um, just a small stretch of um, nucleic acids, i.e. genes, different species of bacteria, which many of them have yet to even be named. But the fact that there are um, different genes there um, tells us that you've got a different bacteria there. Um, having said that, even if you don't have the 700, which have yet to be named very often, um, there's well over 200 different bacteria in any one mouth. Um, and we, we concentrate so much on kind of just that one um, strep mutans to, to cause tooth decay. And uh, there are so many other bacteria, a dozen or more different bacteria that also produce acid which will dissolve teeth. So concentrated on, on one bacteria to me seems to be um, a little bit um, a, a little bit myopic or, and um, it's um, we, we know we know that the um, oral biome um, uh, people describe it as the second largest concentration um, of micro microorganisms um, after the gut. Um, and um, I've, I've used that phrase before. And um, I, I would challenge that on two fronts, I think. And the first is that I don't think the mouth comes after the gut. Um, but maybe if it did, people would have different cho food choices. Sorry, that's a little bit crude. You, <laughs> you, you can <laughs> no, the, the, the second, and maybe a little bit more serious, um, is that I don't consider the mouth to be um, um, after the gut or any other. The mouth is part of the gut. And it's a very yeah. important part of the gut because... It's the first part of the gut that actually um, samples what we're putting into our mouths. Um, okay, just before we maybe sample the food, we're, we're maybe um, smelling it. Um, so obviously uh, the, what we smell just before it goes into our, our mouth is perhaps our first, first line of defense. Um, but then once it's in um, our immune system is sampling everything that um, goes in and if we're getting an, an immune response to various things going in the mouth it can actually cause us not to swallow it it can cause us to gag gag reflex etc um, but um, it, it samples everything we do and it's an important part of um, uh, of our 
um, our nutrition is an important part of our um, protection against uh, pathogens. So we have this collection of bacteria in the mouth and um, I've touched on fluoride before and fluoride, yes, does help to strengthen the teeth. But it concerns me as to what's fluoride doing to the other bacteria in the mouth, the ones that cause damage to the gums, which is, if you like, the, uh, the other main dental disease that we're, we're, we're trained to, to look at. Um, the bacteria that cause um, gingivitis and periodontitis, i.e. the diseases that attack the supporting structure for our mouths, um, are completely different to the ones that um, are associated with uh, decay in the mouth. So uh, we're uh, putting in a substance which is known to be toxic to um, all, living, um, all living organisms um, to kill off uh, all those organisms. And we keep pouring in more and more so-called defences against these um, bacteria. And yet we forget um, that just as within our, um, our lower gut, if you like, we have friendly uh, microbes and uh, pathogenic microbes, we aren't in the mouth looking at supporting the, um, our friendly guys. We're just attacking all of them. And... Uh, it worries me that we concentrate on cleaning our teeth uh, the recommended twice a day and the whole, uh, the whole gambit of things that we, uh, so say, clean our teeth and mouths with are uh, predominantly looking at destroying all the bacteria in the mouth. And I think it's far more important to look at um, our, our oral biome as a... Um, it's it's almost like a, a rainforest of um, organisms that all live uh, for the most part together. And if we can keep the uh, quorum levels of the bad bacteria under control by allowing our good bacteria to flourish, then those bad bacteria don't do the harm. And to continually pour in um, antimicrobials and antibiotics to try and kill off all the bacteria. Um, sure as eggs is eggs, it's probably the bad ones that are going to come back first. And uh, even if they don't, what we are doing is increasing the likelihood of all of those bacteria, and obviously from that point of view, the, the pathogenic ones, of um, develop, developing immunity to uh, these antibiotics again. And if we haven't learned anything from medicine over the last... Um, last decades really um, these um, uh, resistant bacteria are going to come back stronger um, they evolve every 20 minutes so um, they can evolve at the speed the human body evolves um, from the whole of the known um, evolution of the hum human species uh, they can mimic that in less than three days um, and bearing in mind that uh, say that again mimic the opportunities for evolution that the whole of um, mankind uh, for the whole of the existence of mankind it has as many opportunities to make those evolutionary changes every three days um, that's the potential 
period they they have that potential because they are reproducing um, every 20 minutes and bear in mind that the protection um, of uh, if you like vertical reprodu reproduction um, is um, less controlled um, in the um, prokaryotes, i.e. organisms that don't have a nucleus. It's just cell division. Whereas, um, and, and also added to that, um, they can transfer their genes horizontally from one microbe to another horizontally. So they can develop through um, their quorum sensing and from the, their um, uh, ability to communicate with, with each other to protect themselves against whatever we throw at them. And so we'll end up putting more and more powerful antibiotics into our mouths to try and kill off a more and more pathogenic bacterium. Um, where will it end? So you're saying as we're putting the antibiotics in, the bacteria are regenerating over a 20-minute period and they're getting more and more clever. Then, So they're identifying those antibiotics saying, okay, we need to readjust ourselves. We need to reconfigure ourselves. So we're becoming more powerful than the, than the antibiotics. Yes, that's pretty much what's happening with antibiotic resistant is that, is that resistance is that the the bacteria is finding ways of avoiding um, what the antibiotic is trying to achieve, i.e. to, for the most part, it's um, breaking down the um, protein connections between cell, cell layers in the, in the um, cell membrane, i.e. if we destroy the cell membrane, we dis destroy, the, destroy, the, destroy the cell, and that's how antibiotics um, break down uh, bacteria um, but if they can find a way of um, strengthening those links or hiding from um, our immune system um, the, the, that that is how they have we have developed um, antibiotic resistant um, strains and um, each each time we attack them they will try and defend it's just it's not human nature it's bacterial nature <laughs> Yeah, the mind boggles at the complexity and the intelligence of the bacteria within us and outside. So that that leads me to ask you, how? what are the preventative things that we can do? I mean, are they the, the basic nutrition that we would uh, would stick to in order to support our, our mouth health, um, you know, to make sure that, that the bacteria in our oral biome is uh, healthy through the foods we eat or is there something else you know what where do where do we start from there do we start with food do we start with with dental hygiene what would you i don't know where to begin yeah where do we, be, where do we begin i mean now in in many respects is is a good time to take a second look at it um this um, covid pandemic we know has been difficult for dental surgeons. We know it's been difficult for many areas, but um, dental surgeons have not been able to work. And even now, um, they can only come back to work um, and they have limited availability compared with how it used to be. Um, so they're having, uh, they're having to comply with all sorts of new regimes and new regulations, etc. And so maybe this is a good time for us to 
um, take on board um, looking after ourselves a bit more. I think during this pandemic, pandemic, we are more aware of looking after ourselves. And this is maybe a time to maybe look at oral health as well. Um, so obviously, one of the uh, things that we're all recommended to do is to brush our teeth. Um, so let's start with some of the things that we know we can do to um, help um, the oral biome. Um, because I think rather than looking at, yes, we are cleaning our teeth. And of course, that's a, a, a from a social point of view, that's a good thing to do. Um, but I think we should be looking at it more along the lines of supporting our oral biome and supporting, if you like, the good guys um, and making life difficult for the bad guys. And it all comes down again to disrupting the oral biome to such an extent that the bad guys aren't reaching uh, a, what is known as a quorum level. Um, and I could come back and touch on quorum level if you if it's something that um, uh, your 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 listeners may be interested in. Um, so I'll come back and touch on that in in a short while if you like that. Um, but the if we if we if we disrupt the um, oral oral biome, um, and so that means disrupting the plaque, um, then what do we do? Well, uh, we should floss our teeth. Um, so, uh, and and people say, "Well, I don't get on with floss." Well, okay, except you're not going to win then. Um, which teeth should you floss? Is a question asked. Um, and the answer is quite straightforward. Only the ones you want to keep. Um, you should, you should, the, the flossing is great because it gets between the teeth. Um, as a, an adjunct, or I don't think it should be an alternative, but as an adjunct to that is to use these little brushes, sometimes called mini, um, mini brushes or interspace brushes, little brushes between the teeth. The advantage of that is, that, of course, the gaps between the teeth um, uh, vary in size and um, getting little brushes in there helps to clear away any food debris um, and helps to um, disturb the plaque and also um, add a certain amount of, uh, if you like, friction to the gum, just toughens the gums up a little bit. We should, we should brush our teeth with a conventional toothbrush, which is a good toothbrush. To be honest, it doesn't really matter. It's the one you get on with. It's a bit like drinking wine. Which wine should you drink? It's much better to drink the one you like rather than the one you don't because you're more likely to enjoy it. So find a brush that you get on with. Um, yes, yes, ideally one that um, has rounded bristles so it doesn't scratch. Um, but they're hard to come by other than made of nylon. And if we're trying to get away from, um, if we're trying to get into the area um, of uh, sustainability, then we want to get away from plastics and nylon and, and all this sort of stuff. But sometimes... Um, we maybe got to accept that uh, nylon um, bristles with rounded ends um, may be at the moment the ideal, although research will go on and I know bristles can be made of, uh, of, of other substances. But the toothbrush handle can be made of other substances and certainly um, people talk about bamboo toothbrushes, etc. The bristles aren't usually made of bamboo, but, but the brush is. Um, and uh, I think an, an area where we 
can really make big differences is to use a, a tongue scraper. Right. Um, cleaning the tongue is something that uh, I don't recall, and maybe I just missed the lecture, um, but I don't recall anyone ever teaching me at dental school that we should scrape our tongues. Um, it actually took me several years because I had a, um, a very, very enthusiastic patient who spent quite a lot of his time in America. Um, but when he wasn't, he actually was a bit of a, um, bit of a pop star in his day. Um, he came, he came, used to come to see me because he'd been coming to see me as a little lad, um, with his mum for years. And he said, oh, I'm just over from New York for a couple of days, Rob. Any chance that you could get me a tongue scraper? I've left mine behind. And I actually said, oh, what? Um, hadn't come across it. Now, whether I missed, missed it somewhere along the way, but anyway, um, the tongue has um, a very, very convoluted surface. And it's so convoluted, there's plenty of space in there for you to store one hell of a lot of bacteria. And many of those bacteria um, are um, what we call commensals. In other words, they, they live with us. Um, they live on us, just like, just like they do on our skin or in other orifices and in our gut. They can be the friendly ones, but it's a huge opportunity because they're not being disturbed for the not so good ones to um, concentrate. And these are the bacteria that often produce um, horrible um, smelly gases as well, which add quite considerably to um, um, to poor um, oral, oral health and obviously um, halitosis or bad breath. Um, so we can we can look at um, tongue scrapers. Um, I think by and large, um, if we're brushing our teeth and um, sorry, brushing and flossing, interspace brushing and tongue scraping, those are kind of by and large the physical things that we can do. Um, so uh, then move on to, well, what else protects our mouths? Um, well, obviously, the biggest protector of our mouths is saliva. And saliva um, not only protects our mouths because it makes the mouth uh, wet and therefore um, the, the skin in the mouth, the mucous membranes can move and slide around against each other with, without uh, without causing friction, i.e. It, it lubricates the mouth. It contains um, lysozyme, which, um, as, uh, which is um, a, uh, it's an enzyme that break, breaks down the cell wall in, in a not not identical, um, so in a dissimilar way to the way that antibiotics break down a cell wall, um, but it breaks down cell walls. And interestingly, it was lysozyme that, um, um, that Fleming was working on um, when he was actually, when he first discovered almost by accident that um, penicillin had an effect in the mouth, but it is something that uh, allegedly he was working on at the time. But uh, saliva also contains um, lactoferrin, which binds iron. The bacteria love iron. They metabolize iron. Um, it's, it's needed for, um, for their, the whole of their metabolic processes. It contains amylase, which breaks down um, long chain carbohydrates, starts to break down carbohydrates, which helps with our digestion. And if we look at the importance of saliva, um, the, the um, health of saliva is massively um, 
controlled, um, certainly affected by our nutrition. Um, and one of the, the second highest concentration of vitamin K2 um, after the pancreas is the, are the salivary ducts and the vitamin K2, such an important um, vitamin uh, within, um, within our bodies for the control of calcium. Absolutely. Um, so uh, if, 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 if we can address our, um, our nutrition to support healthy saliva, we will go a long way to helping support um, a healthy mouth. Um, obviously, the saliva buffers the acidity in the mouth. It's the acidity that causes teeth to dissolve. Um, and that's the first stage of tooth decay. So if we can buffer that quickly, um, that's a good thing. Um, and, and now we start to get into more of the link between systemic illness and the mouth because so many medications cause a dry mouth. Um, antidepressants, PPIs, antihistamines, diuretics, obviously, because they're, reducing, they're encouraging the body to lose fluids. Um, and even statins have been shown to reduce levels of saliva in the mouth, not to mention chemotherapy and radiotherapy, um, particularly radiotherapy to the head and neck region. So if we can encourage um, good healthy eating and good healthy living and minimize um, those drugs, then we'll have better saliva. And I think an area that is massively overlooked by um, not just not necessarily the, the dental profession but it is an area the dental profession could um, definitely help with and and in many situations they do help um, is uh, breathing and one thing I sometimes do when I'm talking to people is just ask them to sit quietly for a moment then slowly take a breath a breath in and if you ask people, now, did you breathe in through your mouth or through your nose? And a small percentage of people, and it's not that small, will have breathed in through their mouth. Um, nasal breathing is so much more beneficial to health than mouth breathing. Yes, when you're exercising hard, it's, you, can't, you just can't get the oxygen in there. And the reason this is important in dentistry, uh, not just the... Um, um, oxygenation levels are higher when you nasal breathe um, but that when you're asleep um, if you breathe through your mouth you're drying out your mouth and if you're drying out your mouth you're not protect you're not having the protection of saliva um, and saliva flow stops when you're asleep anyway um, so you've only got um, sort of a, a relative relatively low level of moisture in the mouth and if you breathe through your mouth you will dry out the mouth quicker than if you're breathing through your nose. In addition to that, if you're breathing through your mouth, then you stand um, a better chance of potentially snoring or having sleep apnea. Um, the two often go together, but they're not exclusive. Um, and uh, sleep apnea is... Um, I know you, but maybe some of your listeners will not be familiar with sleep apnea, but this is where you basically uh, stop breathing while you're asleep and you actually don't 
necessarily wake up, but uh, your partner may notice that you suddenly sort of gasp for breath. Um, as you do that, you will um, obviously um, uh, return oxygen levels to the brain. That's what that's what that's what's happening there. Um, you frequently um, grind your teeth when you do that, and that's bad for um, the longevity of your teeth. Um, but if you do grind your teeth, then you will be adding to muscular problems around your TMJ joint, uh, which we cross, uh, which we um, already talked about. And um, essentially, what's happening when you do stop breathing like that is your brain is saying uh, it's going into um, a, a fight or flight mode, saying, "Where's my oxygen?" Um, it, it's one, wanting. Um, wanting oxygen and it causes you to uh, quickly get oxygen in there and if you're in flight fight or flight mode you're in a sympathetic domination mode rather than parasympathetic which is obviously increasing stress levels which will um, damage your sleep hygiene um, so nasal breathing um, which is kind of where i started on that one um, yeah. is important and there are um, exercises that you can can do during the day which will help you then automatically breathe well not not automatically but encourage you to breathe through your nose at night and uh, though all of those areas will will help with your um, sleep hygiene it's really fascinating stuff can i can i ask you again um the were you talking about the when you breathe with your mouth open it reduces the the saliva obviously your mouth dries out and that is that affects the the bacteria or the biome um, yes um, if you're sleeping with your mouth open your mouth is drying out um, it's not just sleeping with the mouth open that can happen during the day as well if you're breathing through your mouth more more than your nose the mouth is going to be drier you know we, we all know that when we talk a lot um, our mouths dry out and um Mine is now. Uh, <laughs> so um, if you're you're disturbing the biome because you're not having the protection and the lubrication that um, the uh, saliva produces. Um, so all of those good things in the saliva that help protect the mouth, um, and that allows the the bad bacteria. And there is some evidence that some of those bad bacteria are actually. Uh, have actually adapted to being able to become um, more prevalent when um, saliva levels are lower, i.e. where the moisture levels are somewhat reduced. Whether they actually have adapted or whether it's because they're just given a little bit more free reign when they're, when they're not being attacked by the saliva, um, who knows? Someone maybe maybe one day will do some research into that. Um, but it has been shown that um, that uh, mouth breathing does uh, increase the levels of um, dental decay. Right. So uh, you know, I've, it sounds to me like not only with the 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 nutrients at which part of the thing that we would talk to people about is the hydration. So the hydration would come through eating lots of healthy foods, whole food, plant-based foods, but also the right sort of hydration in order to make sure that you're producing the right amounts of saliva as well. Oh, uh, e even eating, um, I know, fruits, fruits like melon and, and 
and uh, veg, vegetable uh, cucumber you know high high water content foods help to help to um, keep the mouth more moist um, but I, but making sure that um, the most of that moisture or a lot of that moisture is actually coming with the added benefits of uh, all the good stuff um, within um, the amount of stuff that we could talk about, Robin, is sort of boggles my mind with uh, you know, the conversations we've had. We've talked several times and I, I keep thinking, oh, I think we should talk about this so we can decide how we want to take this discussion now. We could perhaps talk about the sort of products that you, you suggest to people for dental hygiene or we could talk about things like uh, if someone has amalgam fillings, what sort of health implications are there? Do you, don't you have them removed? Uh, how would you like to move this forward? Because we could talk for hours and we don't really have it because you're a busy man <laughs> and I, we both need to go. Uh, yes, and, and, and also you know, there's there's a limit to what we can talk in any, in any one course. meeting. I mean, you've just covered one, one area which is, which is massive and that, that's obviously mercury. Um, which formed a big part of dentistry and the discussions around dentistry yeah. for um, a number of years now, and, and all the more so um, recently. Um, but uh, yes, we can talk about mercury. We can touch on it now, should if if you would like. Um, but it, um, it's, up, it's up to you. Oh, well, you're funny. You're sweet. I was just getting yeah. ready to say that it's up to you. What I, um, I think. If we talk briefly now, just and very briefly, if you can, which is is kind of laughable to say briefly, if we talk briefly about no. amalgam fillings and mercury, you know, because that's a really hot topic for so many people. I mean, I've got mercury fillings in my my mouth right now, and you and I have talked about: Do you leave them in? Do you have them removed? What's the process? How cautious do you need to be? Um, do you want to? start from that point yep surely uh, mercury has been a hot topic in dentistry for a few decades now and um, I, I think it's fair to say that the majority of of dentists now accept that uh, mercury is uh, a toxic substance and um, that if we can um, avoid its use um, a good thing uh, we have to balance that a little bit um, in, in as much as, uh, for the most part, the alternatives to mercury are plastic, and that's now a hot, to hot, hot topic as well. Yeah. Um, but there are other alternatives, um, and so let's not go necessarily down that road just now. Um, on, on, on the um, uh, basis that we think that mercury is bad um, and we wouldn't choose to use it now, then what do we do about the mercury that's already in there? Um, one thing to um, say is that it's now pretty much accepted and there's quite a lot of um, evidence to support the fact that uh, mercury does what they call off-gas. In other words, um, if you've got mercury fillings in your mouth, then there is a small release of mercury from um, those fillings um into into your mouth now is that enough to kill you um i don't know probably not uh, but uh, um any amount of a toxic substance um is detrimental to um uh, our 
optimal health, should we say. Um, there are so many toxins in the air, in our foods, in our waters, etc. now that the, the, the body, and for the most part, that's the kidney, but other parts of the body as well, have to deal with. Um, are, is, is mercury all that important? Well, if people are reaching um, saturation levels of toxins in general, um, then one more little bit of mercury vapor may be sufficient to tip them over the edge. And are they getting headaches? Have they got fatigue? Are they getting joint pains, etc., etc.? Um, and if they are, um, then for them, um, removal of mercury-based fillings is uh, possibly, very likely, um, a useful thing to do. Uh, but in removing the mercury, you will increase the levels of um, mercury vapour. And so they have to be removed in a careful way. And um, there, there are, um, if you like, naturopathic dental surgeons. Um, they're not so many yet, but I think more and more people are beginning to um, recognise the value of a naturopathic approach to things. But if you're removing mercury, then the first thing to recognise with any toxin um, is that uh, when you remove the toxin, there's always a chance that you'll get a Herxheimer's or Herx reaction. Um, and that will potentially um, tip you over the balance, uh, over your balance point um, quite quickly and be quite detrimental. So before you start any detoxification, it's um, pretty essential that your detoxif detoxification pathways are, should we say, open. Um, and so that um, a, a good, good level of um, detoxing the liver, the kidney, making sure the gut is, uh, you know, that we uh, put it crudely, we are um, pooping twice a day or whatever. Um, you know, all of these things, you want to get rid of toxins you've got to make sure um, the pathways to getting rid of them are open otherwise you're going to get a backlog and that backlog can then get back into the body and cause more severe symptoms um, that being said um, once those are out of the way there are a number of things that we can do um, to remove to help with the removal of um, mercury-based fillings um, we can um, obviously uh, use mouthwashes with um, you know, charcoal, activated charcoal rinses, um, particularly um, early, early on, i.e. before the treatment, uh, during and after. Um, spirulina is a good um, metal chelator. Um, uh, also, um, um, alpha lipoic acid, uh, good, good because it's water and fat-soluble antioxidant. Um, but it actually through the um, physical removal of the uh, filling, using rubber dam, um, using high volume and high suction water coolants whilst the uh, drill is operating, keeping which keeps the temperature down, um, possibly covering the whole of the, the, the mouth as best you can um, to protect skin. Um, and then um, liver support with um, NAC and um, uh, again, before, during, and after, uh, glutathione, um, uh, an amazing product for mercury detoxing. Um, and just just a, another, I don't know, quick plug, because I happen to like Cytoplan. <laughs> they do a, a product 
all activated um, activated glutathione, which is liposomal glutathione and and um, NAC um, and a few other products in there, which all help to help in the detoxification of mercury from the body. Um, that's just a very, very quick overview of mercury. There's uh, a lot we could discuss around that and, and maybe almost make a um, almost make a whole, well, not a whole topic, yeah. but a topic of Absolutely. it um, of the day. Um, I hope that gives you a brief yeah that's that's really helpful and and you're right it would be good to 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 do something like that where you have you can come on bring someone with you where you can have a real discussion about best ways on how you manage mercury feelings if they're being removed what to do and the the nutrition the nutritional side and also just the holistic side of, of our health and well-being that would be terrific so if we leave that there for right now um that hot topic as it were i mean we know that anyone who's going to do that needs to have someone who understands what they're doing and the health implications for anyone having their mercury fillings removed and not to do it all at once for sure what I think would be nice if we could talk a little bit about what are you, some of your favorite products. I know you've said your best form of defense is if you're going to brush your teeth, have a toothbrush. But are there any products out there in particular you um, have a great love for that we can promote? Um, I've been doing quite a lot of uh, research into products and having um, trialing some of them. And um, I've got to say that I've been quite in pressed by some products made by Primal Life, uh, Trina Felbar. I think her, her main area or her original area of expertise is more in um, skin products. Oh, right. Um, and, um, but she's um, looked a lot at dental products as well. Um, so I, th I think um, her range of products are very good. Um, they're based somewhere in America f off the top of my head. I can't remember exactly where, but um, they do. Um, they don't have outlets in the UK, but she, you know, it takes a few days to get here now, particularly with um, current situation. Uh, but uh, she, I mean, I, I got her products, got, got them to send them over here. So, and I've tried tried a few of those. Um, in particular, she does she um, does a couple of very good tooth powders, um, I would call them. Um, these ra rather than um, a toothpaste, it's a tooth powder. You just um, put a little bit of powder you know, onto the palm of your hand, or if you're just using the the um, the jar yourself you can dip your toothbrush in if you like um, but um, the, the the contents she's using um, in one of them using activated charcoal which is helping detoxification um, that's a bit messy i've got to say um, uh -huh. black charcoal running, running around your, your your the the white sink it looks pretty pretty awful and uh, <laughs> Uh, cleaning up it was not much fun but um the, one of the other products um the other powder or mouth mouth powder um doesn't have the charcoal in and it's made up of bentonite clays and other clays like that which contain lots of minerals which will help remineralization of the teeth um and that's what we're looking for um she did the research into it and um um, so that's good. There's a, another dentist in America called Mark Berheny who makes um, um, a, a range of products. Um, 
I'm not quite so keen on his products, not for a, not that they're necessarily not very good, um, but he doesn't seem to have taken on board um, something I'm quite keen on, and that is um, reducing plastics. Uh, most of his products seem to come in plastic boxes and plastic containers, etc. Um, but, but when we look at um, the, this powder, for example, um, that's... Um, uh, that Trina Felbar produces. Um, really, really good if you're just looking for something that will remineralize teeth and help clean the mouth and disturb disturb the um, uh, the oral biome. You're trying to prevent this quorum buildup that we touched on before um, so that we've got um, uh, support for the good bacteria and if the good bacteria are supported, then the bad bacteria don't get an opportunity to, to overwhelm. Um, so those products are good. Um, she also makes um, a quite nice, we talked about floss a little bit earlier, and a lot of people have difficulty with floss. And so um, they actually make quite a nice, it, it's, uh, uh, they call it a floss picker. Um, it's, it's sort of like a, a, a U-shaped holder um, that holds a little bit of floss, and it, which gives you a little bit of a handle to grasp, and she actually makes that out of a, a material that's biodegradable. Um, off the top of my head, I forget what that is. Um, but uh, that's quite, quite, an quite a good alternative way of um, getting people to start using floss. Um, I don't think it's as good as um, floss per se, um, but it's not a bad substitute for many people. Got you. Yeah, I'm looking at her site there. Dental floss picks is what they're called. Um, and she, she's, she also sells um, a, a tongue scraper. Um, so, again, you know, Good, good. I've tried them, the products. I like them. They work. Um, for, from a point of view of um, you know, comparing her tooth powder to a conventional toothpaste, well, the, ni the nice thing is it doesn't, doesn't contain um, triplosan, which is an antimicrobial, as you know, um, which just about every other toothpaste does. Um, it doesn't contain um, alcohol. It doesn't contain... Um, chlorine dioxide or chlor chlorhexidine, all of these antibacterial agents. Um, whilst they might be good in, in an acute situation, um, I think that um, using them long term is increasing the risks that we're going to um, produce more resistant strains. Um, if we if we look at uh, some some mouthwashes, um, for me, if we're if we're not talking about oil pulling, then for me the best mouthwash is probably water, or what's left in your mouth when you've used one of these tooth powders, and use that as a mouthwash, because um, for example the mouthwashes that contain hydrogen peroxide, well hydrogen peroxide will outgas mercury, so if you've got mercury fillings, you should be avoiding hydrogen peroxide, and all these little things. Uh, why why do we have um, um, colouring in a toothpaste? Some of these colourings and fragrances, um, they just 
you know, they just come on the label as a fragrance. Well, if something's on the label as a fragrance, you can bet your life it's synthetic of some sort and probably yeah. buy a, an, an appropriate E number attached to it. But that doesn't get onto, onto the list of um, whether you should or shouldn't have it in your mouth. Um, and it's not that the science is necessarily there um, that they're good or bad. It's just why they're there. Why do you need red toothpaste? Why do you need yeah. blue toothpaste? Why do you need green toothpaste? Why do you need sweet toothpaste? I mean, you you yeah. add all these things. You, you've got your you've got your um, aspartamines and things like that, other sweeteners. Well, whether they're good or bad in the mouth uh, is, in many respects, irrelevant. We know we know they're bad for the rest of the body, uh, but why do you need it in the mouth? Uh, you, you know, you just kind of don't need them there. Glycerin, well, that makes it into a paste. Well, that's fine, but. Yeah, if you put glycerin on the teeth, then your your remineralizing remineralizing uh, chemicals can't reach the tooth. So you you're, you're protecting the tooth from the very stuff that you're trying to uh, mend it with. So I see very little point in adding glycerin to a tooth, other than maybe it helps make it into some sort of paste. Um, and some people find, find that um, easier to control. Um, so yeah, a little bit less messy, uh, but then you got it in a plastic tube. Uh, well, yeah. So um, you know, it all goes round in circles, really. Um, and if you can avoid those things and uh, just rinse your mouth with um, fresh water, um, if you've had food um, recently, then um, particularly if it's one of your bad choices of foods, you know, you've got to have a little treat from time to time. If it is a bad choice, then if you feel that that uh, you, you've then got to brush your teeth, avoid it. Um, avoid it for a good 45 minutes because you want your saliva to have um, neutralised any acid that's been formed before you start scraping away at your teeth again because your teeth will have uh, demineralised very slightly during that time. And if you start uh, brushing away at the surface, then you're slowly but surely going to brush away the surface of your tooth. So a good thing to do if you had a naughty treat is to just rinse your mouth with water water not brush it just swish and swirl and make sure there's no bits lying around in between the teeth and leave it 45 minutes or so if not an hour but certainly 45 minutes before you do any physical cleaning um, you know with a brush or whatever um, because that will help too so uh, that, you know just little little tips like that um, and we've just talked about little treats well yes we all want to have our our little treats so if you're going to have treats have them all in one go. Um, and let's not be encouraging people to have more treats. Um, but if you have it all in one, have it all in one go, you're just reducing um, the length of time uh, that your mouth um, has a lower pH, i.e., is more acidic, um, to just that one occasion instead of um, popping a sweet every twenty minutes and keeping it acidic for hours on end. That will make a huge difference to the level of demineralization that will occur in the mouth. Um, using comforters with babies and filling the reservoir with concentrated juices, again, you're just um, adding um, sugars into the mouth. Okay, they're not going to be on comforters um, when they're adult, but uh, teeth, teeth start to come into the mouth around about the age of five to six months, sometimes as low as four months. And if you're giving them a comforter and, and that comforter is um, pre 
leaking, leaking out a certain amount of concentrated fruit, fruit juices, which are full of horrible sugars, then you know we we want to discourage that because the, the mouth's going to be acidic for a huge huge length of time and that will damage the teeth sorry to interrupt you so can you clarify on the fruit juices do you mean natural fruit juices or do you mean the the squashes that are full of the the I, fake sugars so sorry i i, I mean um the uh, to be honest most fruits are slightly acidic um so minimize those is a good thing but i was really constant really talking about these concentrates um, that you add water to concentrated sugar juices um, we want to we obviously want to reduce on um, these carbonated drinks um, but this is getting back into diet and diet yeah, control of course, um, of course. yeah what, what what is the best best diet uh, you know they're, they're all out there there's a high keto there's a low keto high fat low fat low carb high carb you know, um, pay, paleo there's mediterranean so many different diets out there that are recommended as being good they've all got about three things in common um, the first is they don't encourage eating sugars the second is they don't encourage eating trans fats <laughs> and uh, the third is what's the oh, processed foods um so it almost, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter which one, but let's not get um, over-possessive about our particular diet. Any one of the healthy diets, from a, from a dental point of dental perspective, is if we can eliminate um, processed foods, eliminate uh, simple sugars, and eliminate uh, trans fats. So um, hydrogenated um, uh, vegetable oils, etc. If we can eliminate the three things that we as um, nutritionists know to be not good for us it i won't say it doesn't matter but it almost doesn't matter um what else what else we do um, within reason uh, so from that probably concludes a bit on on diets i mean we all have different views on what's a good diet uh, so we don't want to go we want to try and agree on things rather than disagree on which, which yeah. good things are good yeah, well, that leads us quite nicely. It sort of does full circle of going back to how food and or nutrition is related uh, or the body is all interconnected. So what we eat is going to affect our oral biome, is going to affect how we feel, et cetera, et cetera. So I think one of the things we've addressed in our discussion is that we're more than likely going to have a variety of things to or series with regards to uh, dental hygiene if you're so inclined to do that i'd be delighted but um mm -hmm. so i think probably for, for now if you're okay we'll leave it there unless there's something in particular you would like to to say that we haven't talked about specifically in this session i think it just one one quickie an awful lot of the science attached to um, dentistry was maybe uncovered by western price going back in the 30s um, he was a dental surgeon that travelled the world and went to a number of different, um, it seems unkind to say, but should we call it um, primitive um, societies? That's not necessarily the correct political term to use, and I apologise if it's not. Um, but he identified that uh, something within what they were um, doing within their, um, within their communities uh, was 
much better for their teeth and their oral and facial development than the standard American diet, um, which seems to be quite common in the UK as well, um, uh, produces. And I think it's uh, something that annoys me somewhat that this is a dentist doing fantastic research back in the 30s, and I didn't hear about him until um, quite late in my career. And uh, I would recommend that his, his book um, to to any um, prospective dental surgeon, um, read the history. It's out there. Um, Western A. Price, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. Uh, still available now. It's reprinted quite regularly. Um, and I think it's important that, yes, we all like the comforts of life. Um, and we'll never get anyone to go back to um, those primitive societies because we like our good, the, the, um, the goodies that we have come to enjoy. Um, so rather than going back, I think I would like to say that we should maybe add back some of the, uh, some of the good things that aren't going to damage the enjoyment that we get from um, modern developments. Um, and perhaps that's um, uh, a little bit of a plug for um, Western Price, and I'm plugging him because I have huge respect for the work he did at such a difficult time and with the facilities available back in those times and everything that he identified then um, still is, is, exists now. The, product, the substance he identified as um, Activator X within... Um, within food, the food and diet of these different um, different um, civilizations, different communities, um, we now know to be vitamin K2. And that was ignored for best part of 60 years before it was finally identified back in the late 1990s, I think it was, early 2000s. And we now know the importance of, um, the, uh, of the action um, of vitamin K2, and uh, he should be um, honoured and remembered for his work. So he found that he found that was more prevalent and predominant in more of the primitive uh, cultures that he went to see versus the standard American diet, which was processed foods and causing more um, mouth decay. He found that these other cultures didn't have these issues. Is that correct? Indeed, yes. Uh, he, um, and it's not just dental decay was actually facial development as well. Right. Um, and, and that's, a, that's a, a, a topic we can talk about, uh, tongue seals, and we talked about breathing earlier, and um, uh, tongue, tongue seals and where your tongue should rest in your mouth and things like that. All, all areas that we, we, we can talk about and, and all these little little areas that can, all the little things add up to big things. But um, mm -hmm. he did identify uh, vitamin K2 um, as... Um, something that was consistently present in these um, uh, civilizations that had good quality um, facial and dental development um, as opposed to uh, where we are now with it. And um, uh, I think that's a, an important... Um, he, he didn't really discover it because he didn't know what it was because at that stage he couldn't identify it. He just identified that there was something 
consistently pro present um, and um, missing from uh, the um, the sad American diet, as we nickname it. Um, so, yeah, that was that's a good bit of work, and it, it, it's something that I, I would encourage any dentist to read, and particularly cool. any dental student. And they'll maybe come out into the world with a, a little bit of wider knowledge than um, certainly what I was taught. Um, okay, that's really helpful. Okay, so is there, you know, what... I like to ask this of everyone who comes on. We've talked about all of these things. We know we're going to do more sessions. What is there something in particular that I can help you with right now? We haven't talked about what you're going to do with your life as you've retired from dentistry and studied uh, nutritional therapy. We haven't addressed that really. Um, can you do that briefly do you think talk about what you're going to be doing or would that be part of how we might be able to help you going forward uh, I, I think um, the answer to that is probably quite brief because I don't really know um, if, if people find <laughs> what I'm talking about of interest then I'm more than happy to um, um, expand on it be that um, in sessions like this or um, in uh, I know talking to small groups um, I'm slowly but surely getting a little bit more used to doing these things electronically but I <laughs> kind of quite like being um, in a group of people and you know taking questions from them um, which um, uh, I, th I think is important because the questions are asked in, in the moment and that's often a, a good thing to do and quite a lot of what I do or have talked about today and can enlarge upon um, at, a, at another time um, a better a better demonstrated um, rather than me trying to talk about it and, a, and in other words a, um, a, a picture paints a thousand words or whatever the phrase is um, you know showing is is sometimes a little bit easier to understand I've maybe gone into a little bit of um, you know, the scientists would say maybe not enough science but for some people a little bit too much sciencey in some of this stuff and there's an awful lot of it will go d so much deeper into the science but it's difficult to explain in a uh, in a conversation it's easier to explain with backup um, visuals um, so we don't really have a particular plan i have been invited to um, make a presentation um, um, for one company um, and that's something that we're looking towards uh, maybe doing a little bit later in the year. Um, Great. And uh, if any, again, if any of your listeners would like me to, um, I know, talk to their study clubs or small groups, okay. or indeed if they have clients that um, they would like me to advise, then more than happy to do so. I'm kind of uh, playing it ear um, just see how it develops um, it, it's one of the areas of nutrition is obviously close to me because of my um, origins um, but I do have a couple of other little areas um, that I'm very interested in um, one of which is Alzheimer's my mother died of Alzheimer's so um, it's an area that I've again done a, a little bit more research in than than um, than, in, in, than other areas so um, yeah but at the moment, yep, then dentistry and nutrition are uh, an area that I, because I come at it from both angles, so to speak, uh, you know, 
uh, a little bit more about and um, if it can be helpful to people then i'm happy to be there to help them huh. Well, that's that's really kind of you. You've you've turned it around from our helping you to you helping us. So I guess you're one of those that it comes full circle, which is um, you're obviously a, a really very generous individual. So I think if you're happy with this for now, I think we'll leave it there. Is that all right with you? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. I, 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 um, well, I suppose just really, Deb, just thank you. Um, I hope your listeners stroke followers um, have found some of what I say interesting and can take something away from it. And if I can um, enlarge, expand on any of it for any of them, um, then um, I'm sure you can um, make it, uh, give them my details to, um, uh, to get through to me. Most definitely. Well, what I'll do is I will, in the show notes, I will include all the people that you've talked about here, but also will include your email so people can get in touch with you directly because at present you don't have a website. Is that right? That's correct at the moment. Okay. Dad. I'm not quite okay. sure how how to de- how I want that to develop at this stage. So um, I want when it does go, when, when I do go along that road, I want it to be um, precise. Okay, that's fine. Okay, well, that, that's terrific. Thank you very much for joining me, Robin. And um, shall I say, to be continued. Thank you very much. It's been my yeah. pleasure. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. Well, folks, that's all for today. I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in to Robin share his story and talk about how nutrition has really changed his life, changed his working life, and created a whole new career for him. So it will be exciting to see how he progresses over the next few years. I'll be sure and share information that we talked about on my show notes. Before I ask you to do the normal things, I am really excited to announce that I am an affiliate with Bellican. They are the first fully customizable mini trampoline rebounders and they're a fantastic way for you and or your clients to get into shape and improve health and well-being. So watch this space as I share more information and details about them going forward. Now then, there are a few things I'd like to ask you to do as always. I'd like to ask you to leave me a review if you haven't done so already. And to those of you that have, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I'd also like to ask you to subscribe to my podcasts. And if there are other people you feel would benefit from these sessions, please spread the word. It always helps. Because don't forget, that's what these podcasts are for. They're here to support, collaborate, communicate, educate, and inspire one another. I'd also like to remind you to put a date in your diary. On Saturday, 19th September in Bristol at Engineer's House, Anita Beardsley of Love Nutrition and I are organizing an event, the multifaceted effect of gut health. We're going to be looking from science to clinical practice. This event aims to bring together a range of healthcare professionals to share innovative ways to support clients with a particular focus on gut health and its many manifestations. We are delighted to have confirmed Dr. Alan Desmond, Dr. Elizabeth Phillips, author Tanya Borowski, Claire Sinton, and Dr. Caroline Gilmartin on the day as speakers. I'm also pleased to say that we have Pucka, Nutrigold, and Genova Diet 
Diagnostic as gold sponsors for our event. And I mustn't forget to mention one of our main supporters of the event is the Alliance for Natural Health. All of the links for these organizations will also be provided on the show notes. I'd like to thank you again for joining me. And until next time, I'd like to wish you and yours the very best of health. Bye for now. Bye.